Uh, good morning. Thank you. As you can see, Pastor Bruno and I have uh, kind of traded duties this morning, and I really appreciate the opportunity uh, this morning to share uh, this morning's message and to really, in many ways, um, tag team uh, Pastor as we look at this uh, incredible series uh, that he's called GRIT. Now, GRIT is an acronym for um, Grace Honoring, Resolve, Intentional, and Tenacious. Obviously, this is uh, an acronym, um, but it's also it's a play on the word grit. Do you know what the true meaning of grit is? It means courage and resolve, strength of character. And by now, I'm sure why you know the reason Pastor gave this title to this book. Uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, book of the Bible, uh, Daniel um, chapter 3. Uh, which is what we're looking at this morning, Daniel chapter 3, which is a very, very familiar chapter in Daniel. Most of us know uh, the story. Uh, so we're going to look at the book, but we're, we're really going to hone in on about 10 passages of Scripture this morning, starting with the first 8 uh, through 18. So what I would like to do, so we can kind of get the context of what I will be preaching on, is to read this together, or you can follow along. I'll read it. You can follow along in your Bibles or... Um, you could um, follow along on the screen up here. But we're in Daniel 3, starting with verse 8, which says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's take a moment right now, and let's just go before the Lord and just uh, commit uh, this service again to you. Our Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we've had this morning to worship you through uh, announcements, through prayer, and through music. So, Father, we pray now that we would worship you through your word. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that your word would just uh, resonate in our hearts, that your word would transform us this morning, especially as we walk out of here, that we would be a little different. Father, as always, I pray. Uh, first, I thank you for the opportunity to share, but I pray, Lord, that you would allow me to handle your word correctly and that you would be glorified. Father, we love you and praise you, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, if there's anything that can get our attention, it's a fire. It's a fire. I remember as a young boy watching my neighbor's house burn down in flames. And to this day, no pun intended, that image has been burned into my memory as I can vividly see in my mind right now, that house um, just was devastated. The intensity of the flames, the power of a fire destroyed the house. Thankfully, no one was hurt. But it was horrible, and the destruction of the home was um, catastrophic. But in our passage today, we find three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, who faced a fire. Now, can you imagine what must have been going through these three men's minds as they heard the crackling of the fire, as they felt the intensity of the heat and, and saw the effects on the three soldiers who once stood alongside them, who was burned. Um, and let's face it, unlike most of the fires that we face, these men actually had a choice as to whether or not they would go into the fire. Let's face it, we usually don't have that choice. Fiery trials just, just come our way. But these three men, they had a choice. They had a choice. These men could either just go with the flow, do whatever everyone else was doing, and bow down and worship a false god. Or they could burn in the fire. That was their choice. But they had a choice. These men had a choice. Well, we know the story well. We know that they would not bow down. We know that they were tossed into the furnace. And we know that God rescued them. So there you go. I've just finished chapter 3. Let's stand for the benediction. All right? Now, there's a little bit more to this story than that. These men obviously had faith. They had courage. They had a courage and they had a conviction. You know, week one, Pastor was talking about their conviction. And, and, and week one and Pastor's sermon just really resonated with me. And I really want to hone in on the word conviction this morning. And I'm sure we're all familiar with the phrase uh, to have courage of one's convictions. And what this phrase means is to have confidence to act or behave in accordance with one's beliefs or ideologies, especially in the face of resistance criticism, or even persecution. These men clearly had courage of their convictions. But please, hear what I'm about to say right now, because if you don't hear this, this message really isn't going to make a lot of sense. If our faith changes or bends under any circumstances, let me say that again. If our faith changes or bends under any circumstances, even in the face of certain death or persecution, we have a preference and not a conviction. We have a preference and not a conviction. 
Let me share a quick story. In 1972, the court ruled, the Supreme Court ruled in Wisconsin versus Yoder that the only religious beliefs protected under the First Amendment are convictions. Preferences, the court said, are not protected. Now, this was a landmark case. And just again, assuming you're not familiar with it, this case was about Amish families who did not want their children in public schools past the eighth grade. But the law said that they had to attend school until the age of 16. And the Amish were saying that it was against their religion to expose their children to worldly knowledge. And they felt that it actually became a threat to their very own salvation. Now, we would not agree with their theology, but this was their conviction. And the Supreme Court ruled in their favor. Now, according to the Supreme Court, a preference could be a very strong belief held with great strength. As a matter of fact, you can give your entire life in a full-time way to the service of that belief or preference. You can also give your entire material wealth in the name of that belief, and that would be your preference. You can proselytize others to your belief or preference. You can also teach your children these beliefs, and the Supreme Court will rule that it is a preference. What is my point? Well, here it is. A preference could be a strong belief, but a belief that will change under the right circumstances. I'll just say that one more time. A preference could be a strong belief, but a belief that you will change under the right circumstances. What kind of circumstances, you ask? Well, thank you for asking that question. Let me share a few. Number one, how about peer pressure? Peer pressure. If your beliefs are such that other people must stand with you before you stand, your beliefs are probably a preference. If your family pressures you to believe or not to believe, you probably have a preference. If the threat of lawsuits forces you to change your beliefs, you have a preference. If the threat of jail or prison time makes you change what you believe, then you have a preference. If under the threat of death you change what you believe, you have a preference. So what is the difference between a preference and a conviction? It's very simple. A conviction is a belief that you will not change. A conviction is not something that you discover. It's something that you purpose in your heart. Even under the threat of certain death, a true conviction will not change. You see, convictions on the inside always show up on the outside in a person's lifestyle. And to violate a conviction would be a grave sin in that person's life. What is a, what is a conviction? Well, a conviction is to be self-determined. Self-determined. What does that mean? Well, you choose to accept it. It's your conviction. It's oftentimes a gut-level decision, but it's yours. A conviction is a non-negotiable. It's to be a non-negotiable. Let me give you a perfect example. This is the Word of God. I believe uh, from the book of Genesis through Revelation, this is the errant word of God, the non-negotiable. The non-negotiable in my life, and quite frankly, the non-negotiable in this church's life. If the government were to say, well, Dennis, 
you can't teach a certain portion of this Bible. And if you do, you're going to jail. Write me a letter in jail. All right? I'm going to jail. This is a non-negotiable. This is a belief that I will not change, or we as a church will not change. A conviction is to be consistent with a person's lifestyle. Do you practice it daily? Is it a part of your life? So the question this morning is simply this. Do we have a preference or a conviction of our faith? Look, we know, again, that Daniel 3 is a very familiar story. Pastor Bruno um, has been uh, preaching through the first two chapters. Uh, we know that Daniel and his three friends were captives from Israel. Uh, they, they were put into the service of the king. But they would not allow themselves to be defiled. They purposed to live holy lives despite their circumstances. Uh, week one of this series, Pastor um, um, quoted Daniel 1.8, which says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. This is from the ESV. I actually like the New King James uh, translation just a little bit better. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. I like that. He purposed in his heart. You see, Daniel and his three friends, they, they made a gut-level decision. They had a conviction that they would honor God, and they would not change. And God blessed them. God blessed them. So let's take a look, a little closer look at some of these passages, uh, again, starting with uh, 8. And we see in verse 8 that these Chaldeans came, and they maliciously accused um, the Jews. All right. So these Chaldeans, they had their eyes on the Jews, and they specifically had their eyes on our three Hebrew friends. Right? And they sought their death because they wanted to be put in their place after they had died. So they sought their death. Basically what they did, these Chaldeans, they ratted these guys out. They were an arrogant lot. Because right? we, we, we see, now let me move forward. They're so arrogant that they felt that they had to remind the king of his own decree. Now, that's arrogance, to remind the king of his own decree. Look at verses 9 through 11. They, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Kind of sucking up a little bit. They says, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fire. Like the king didn't know that. But listen to the accusation these Chaldeans then make to the king. There are certain Jews whom you, you king, have appointed over the affairs of, province, of the province of Babylon. Then he names these three by name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It's almost like you can hear their sarcasm, right? King, oh king, you know, um, those Jews you appointed. Look, king, those Jews you appointed. It's almost like what we hear today, those, those Christians, 
You know, those, those intolerant Christians. Folks, let me tell you something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not singled out because they worship Yahweh, their God. That's not why they were singled out. They were singled out because they were not doing what the rest of the world was doing. That's why they were singled out. I mean, look around. I don't think Christians are necessarily being singled out because um, we worship Jesus Christ. No, Christians are being accused of being what? Radical right-wingers who do not know the truth, or at least who do not know the world's truth. And what is the world's truth? Love and tolerance. Love and tolerance. Christians, therefore, according to the world, ought to be loving and tolerant. Translated meaning being fully accepting as valid and normal, such things as gay marriages, um, transgenderism, living outside the confines of marriage, abortion. The list goes on and on and on. And anything that speaks contrary to the world will earn you a label of being what? A hater. Homophobic. Narrow-minded. How many times have you heard Christians are just narrow-minded or stupid? And maybe the most hardest or worst insult of all, we're considered to be intolerant. And there's nothing further from the truth. We're called to love. There's a, a movement or a bill, I'm not sure what they call it, in the United Nations, and, and, and it frightens me. And there's talk about um, if a parent teaches their children God-given biblical values, um, they'll consider that child abuse. That frightens me. That's the world that we're living in. But I digress. My apologies. See, the Chaldeans in their arrogance had to remind the king of the penalty for their disobedience. Like the king didn't know. It was his decree. We see in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? And I find this to be an interesting response from the king when he says, is it true? Is it true? The king is giving the Hebrew boys another chance. I think in some ways the, the king respected those three Hebrew boys. You know, they saw how they lived and, and they saw their, their wisdom. And we see in verse 14, it says, Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of a horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But because he's a king, and it's his decree, he had to say this. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then, look at his arrogance here. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Hold on, king. You'll find out in a minute. See, these boys had another chance to deny their God. They had another chance to go along with the politically correct thing to do. Another chance to save themselves. Because the king warned them again of what would happen. So the question is, did they have a preference of faith 
or a conviction of faith? The answer's in their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego meant no disrespect to the king. Look, they had no defense. And they did not need to reconsider their commitment for what they stood for. Because they stood for God as the only true and living God. Their lives were in God's hands, and they were committed. They were convicted in that belief. And nothing was going to change that. They also appeared to be calm, cool, and collected. Now, maybe they weren't cool by the fire, but they were calm, and they were collected. There's a saying that goes something like this. Sometimes God calms the storm, and sometimes he calms the child. In other words, at times he calms us by taking away the storm. And at times he calms us by leaving us in the storm. But either way, God will calm us in times of adversity. And our three men, our, our three Hebrew boys were left in the storm. And by all accounts, they were calm. God calmed them. Here's my point. Whether a miracle occurred or not, it didn't matter. And whether they were delivered or not, they didn't seem to care. Whatever God did or did not do was up to God, and they would accept the outcome regardless. They had taken a stand, and regardless of the consequences, they would not worship a false image or a false god. They had courage. They had a conviction of faith. They didn't compromise. To me, this is the ultimate display of courage or faith. To be willing to offer your life for Christ, not knowing whether he will step in or not. Wow. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in uh, 13.6. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love that. I know you've heard this before, and every time I hear this, it just, I just really reflect and think about it. But you've heard this before. If you were to go on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a sobering question, isn't it? Sobering question. You know, as I looked and studied uh, chapter 3 of Daniel, I love verse 18. I, I, I love it. I, I, I read it over and over. I mean, it's, it's the best line in the entire story. Matter of fact, I'm going to read 18, but let me read 17 first. So again, you get the context. It says, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here's 18. And I love this. The next three words. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that. But if not. 
See, they had it settled in their minds a long time ago what they would do. There was no question about it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to go and say, let's pray about it. Although prayer is good, they knew what they had to do. They did not doubt the power of God to deliver them, but they had, but they had no right to presume that God would deliver them. They just clearly had the courage of their convictions. Is your faith based on a preference or is it based on a conviction? It is estimated that there have been over 70 million Christian martyrs over the, over the last 2,000 years. About 37 million of those 70 million were Christians who died at the hands of the communists during the 20th century. Over half of all Christians who have ever died because of their beliefs did so in the last 100 years. More Christians are dying for their faith now than ever before. That's a lot of believers who said, but if not, but if not. Asian Access, called A2, is a Christian mission agency in South Asia. And they listed a series of questions that church planters must ask new believers before they're able to be baptized. Now keep in mind, this is an area that's very hostile towards Christianity. But listen to the seven questions that they'll ask these new converts. Number one, are you willing to leave home and leave the blessing of your father? That may not seem like a big deal, but in the Asian community, the blessing of their father is important. Number two, are you willing to lose your job? Three, are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you, forgive them, then share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord. Number five, are you, willing, are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Number six, are you willing to go to prison for your faith? And seven, are you willing to die for Jesus? If the new convert answers yes to all these questions, then the A2 leaders invite that person to sign on a piece of paper that of their own free will, they have decided to follow Jesus. But here is the risk. If a new convert signs a paper and the government gets a hold of it, he or she will spend three years behind prison and the person evangelizing them will get six years. Is your faith based on a preference or a conviction? Folks, in our country and around the world today, uh, we've been faced with a fiery trial, and we've watched a virus just spread across the entire globe. And it doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on regarding this virus. The one thing we can say is that thousands of people have died. Of course, this fiery trial is known as COVID-19, a virus unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime. And for some... It has tested their faith. Some have asked this question. Is God allowing this to get our attention? I don't know. Maybe he is. 
hope so. I think it's good God gets our attention. And I find myself asking this question. What is God trying to say to me? And what is God trying to say to his people? And I can imagine our, 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 three, our three heroes this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were probably asking the same thing regarding the trial they were facing. They knew their lives were in danger. They knew that. But they knew a greater truth, that no matter what God would do, God is still good. God is still good. Always been, always will. These three, these three men knew that even if God did not choose to help them and they were to die in the furnace, they would still not bow down to a false God. These men had a conviction in their faith. They had courage. They would not compromise. You know, faith is trusting in God when everything else is falling apart. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I think for the most part, we understand that we're either just coming out of a trial, maybe we're in the middle of a trial, or we know that eventually we're going to enter into a trial because you know what? Trials are just a part of life, and they are. So as Peter reminds us, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But again, rather rejoice inasmuch as you can participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with this. When the Japanese invaded China during World War II, a missionary was forced to leave the area. Now, she worked with the orphans there, and for her, it was not simply an option to leave them behind. We call that a conviction. So she and over 100 children ran, making their way through the mountains of that area, attempting to get to the area known as Free China, an area that was not affected by the war. It was a very difficult trip to navigate with such a large number of children, and she was becoming very anxious about whether they would make it to safety or not. But one young girl in their group, just 13 years old, reminded the missionary of the story of Moses and how God parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to get across safely. Now the missionary cried out in her desperation, but I'm not Moses. To which the young girl replied, of course you aren't. But God is still God. God is still God. Once they made it through safely, they were all reminded that no matter how inadequate we may feel for the task in front of us, God is still God. And we can always trust him. We can trust God today. We can trust God tomorrow. We can trust God right now. This young girl had a conviction. She had faith. One final question, 
and we're done. Is your faith based on a preference or a conviction? Let's pray. Father God, help us to trust you, that you are a good, good God, no matter what is going on in our lives, regardless of the trials we face, that you are good. Lord, help us to have a conviction of faith that even when bad things happen in our lives, your goodness will reign forever and ever. We know that nothing, nothing is good outside of you. So help us to, tr- help us to trust your goodness, no matter what we're facing in our trials. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you care for us. And Lord, we thank you that you do protect your remnant. And we thank you, Lord, for your church. So Lord, finish now this message in our hearts. For we pray these things in the powerful name of Christ Jesus.